Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. We're glad that you're here, whether you're joining us here in the room or joining us online. We're glad you're with us. We'd like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, 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 long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. I think the reason Christians keep saying that to each other is uh, we need to be reminded sometimes that the Lord is with us, that he meets us right where we live in the midst of all the hustle and bustle and worry and, and joy and celebration, everything that we've got going on, God is right there with us in the midst of it. So let's bow our heads and pray to him as we begin today. God, we are so grateful that you meet us right here, right where we are, right with what, whatever's going on in our lives. Uh, none of it is, uh, like you're not a stranger to any of it. None of it's a surprise to you, God. Uh, we might tell you about it. We might cry out to you for help in the midst of it. And, uh, and God, it's not because you don't know or you haven't heard. You are, you're already with us. We just need to be aware of your presence. We just need to be open to receiving your grace, your help, your wisdom, your strength, all that we need to help us make it through this life. So today, God, I pray you'd help us to be open to you that we might hear your voice speaking to us, that we might have an authentic encounter with the God who made us and loves us. So help us, God, as, as we sing these songs and pray these prayers, as we, as we listen for your spirit speaking through the scriptures, as we gather around the table of our Lord Jesus. Would you help us to meet you? Would you help us to truly worship you? Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're interested and able, let's stand and let's sing as we begin.
just as you are before your God.
There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes slowing down at the cross. a place where sin and shame are powerless when my heart has peace with God and forgiveness where all the love I've bow your heads with me. Let's continue the prayer we started with these songs. 
God, we are so grateful for the love that you've shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. This, uh, this mercy that never dies, this love that goes beyond what uh, is reasonable. <laughs> I mean, any reasonable person would look at us and the mess we've made of our lives and, and say, well, <laughs> too bad for them. They've messed it up. They're, they're beyond hope, beyond redemption. But not you, God. You love us so deeply, so passionately, uh, so unswervingly that, that you see us in the mess that we've made of our lives and you can't let us go. You don't let us go. You chase us down. You, you grab a hold of us. And God, we are so grateful that you help us to come to our senses and to realize that you are right here with us that your love has never left us, that our future is still unwritten and it can be a beautiful one. Thank you, God, for coming to us right in the midst of our brokenness and sin in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you held nothing back but gave your all for us. Jesus, you gave your life for messed up people like us, taking our sin on yourself, taking even our death so that when we find ourselves in those dark places of death, when we find ourselves in those places ruined by sin, our own or someone else's, we can know that you are with us and that you stand there victorious because you have conquered sin and death and the devil. And so today we can share in your victory. We can share in your life. We can share in your grace. We can have hope. Thank you, God. Thank you that today your Holy Spirit reaches out to each and every one of us to communicate that grace to us and to give us the strength that we need to put our trust in you today and, and tomorrow and the next day. Each day trusting that you will give us the strength to live this new life that you've given us. God, you are so good to us. We are so grateful. How could we do anything else but, but worship you and thank you and, and praise you for this amazing grace, for this love that you have shown? God, you know the circumstances that we face today. You know the circumstances our world faces today. Just seeing headlines again about the, the violence in Sudan and, and uh, some of us, God, the, the violence we see in our own lives, in our own community. Thank you, God that you are with us there. Thank you that we can reach out to you uh, in our distress and find you to be the, the faithful, loving God who is with us, who helps us, who heals us, who strengthens us. So we pray for our brothers and sisters in Sudan. Uh, we pray for our neighbors needing housing, needing help. Uh, we pray for members of our own community who find ourselves in that place. And, and uh, God, we pray for those of us that you are speaking to about, about helping, <laughs> about being more generous with our time or with our resources. God, help us to, to partner with you in the work that you're doing in the world. Help us to be open to you as your grace flows into our lives and then through us to the people around us. Mm. It's a beautiful thing, God, this love, this grace that you've shown us, and we are so glad to be a part of it. Help us today to continue to be open to you and all that you want to do in us, all that you want to, uh, 
all that you want to say to us. Help us to be listening. Help us to say yes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will the peace of the Lord be with you? Thanks. Let's take a couple minutes, extend that peace to each other, shake someone's hand, maybe introduce yourself to somebody that you haven't met before. Hopefully everybody got one of these little uh, bulletin handout things when you came in. If not, there's some more back there on the table. You want to grab one of those. Um, and uh, all, of, all of you watching uh, online right now, because you couldn't just greet each other and smile and shake, I, I hope that you uh, are chiming in in the comments saying good morning. We'd love to, to chat with you, and, and uh, we'd love to know how we can pray for you, too. So uh, go to livinghope.info slash connect. Fill out that little digital connect card and let us know how we can pray for you or thank God with you or answer a question for you. And that goes for all of us in the room, too. Uh, you can do that online, or you can grab one of those little green cards back there by the offering box. Just jot us your question or your prayer request or whatever's going on. Uh, your feedback, and uh, drop it in that little box back there. If you're giving today, you can drop that in the box too, and, uh, or you can give online. That all works. Uh, just two announcements real quick before Pastor Judy uh, comes up here to bring the message this morning. Um, uh, one of them is the, uh, the 6K for water. Is that the order we've got them in? Yeah. Yeah, the 6K for water uh, in partnership with uh, World Vision. There are thousands of people around the world who on May 20th are going to be walking or running 6K. It's the average distance that people around the world have to walk to get water. Not clean water, just water. It's actually usually dirty water that makes them sick, and it's often women and kids that this work is given to, uh, and it's unsafe. And so we, we've been working with World Vision for years now to help change that, and uh, we would love to help have you participate. So go to valpo6k.com. That'll take you right to our group's page. And on May 20th, you can join us across the street. We're going to walk five laps around uh, Old Fairgrounds Park. And, uh, and bring some clean water to kids around the world who need it. And then uh, next Sunday, we're going to have lunch after the second service uh, with Living Hope 101. So if you have never been to one of these little classes, just an introduction to the church and who we are and, and what it means to plug in here, uh, we'd love to have you join us. Uh, just let us know that you're coming so I can order enough pizza and have enough handouts and all that good stuff, okay? Uh, it's also a great chance to have questions answered if you uh, are curious or you want to know more about, uh, about us or me or whatever. I'll be there. I'll be answering questions uh, and leading that, that class. So uh, if you'd like to come, just please let us know. We've already got uh, several of you that are, uh, have let me know you're going to be there. So I uh, just want to make sure I don't miss anybody. So we, we typically do those like, I don't know, a few times a year, four times a year, maybe something like that. So if you can't make this Sunday, but you want to come in the future, you can let me know that too and say, hey, I really want to come, but can't be there this Sunday. And then that way I can make sure that you hear about it uh, before the next one. All right. Um, I think that's it by way of announcements. So Pastor Judy's got a great message for us uh, ready. Come on up. Uh, I'm looking forward to, I was, I was telling her, I was texting her uh, this morning and saying like, man, it feels weird for me to be here and not be preaching. Most of the time when someone else is preaching, whether it's Pastor Judy or someone else, it's because I'm gone. And uh, so I'm glad I get to be here today and I don't have to watch this online later. So yeah, yeah. please. Well, your teachers will understand this. It's also kind of like teaching with the principal in the room too. So... It's, it's weird for me, too, so no pressure, though. Absolutely no pressure, right? <laughs> well, good morning. Um, before I get started, I do want to say a big thank you from the District uh, Mission Council. I, I happen to be part of it. I'm privileged to be part of the District Mission Council. And you guys as a church, as a group, um, put together 42 
crisis care kits, that's seven full boxes of crisis care kits, just from our little group here, that's gonna be taken first to Pennsylvania where they'll, where they'll be stored until they are needed to be deployed somewhere in the world where there's a nat natural disaster, man-made disaster, places like Sudan, where people are, have lost everything and they just need the basics, the very, very basics. So I'm, I'm really proud of us as a group, as a, as a whole, as a, as a little family here. Um, thank you so much for that, I, I appreciate it. Well, I am really excited to bring you a message from the book of Numbers today. It is a riveting book, isn't it? I hope you hear the sarcasm. <laughs> Um, as Pastor Rich has pointed out, Numbers isn't exactly the most thrilling of books in the Bible. Um, and finding places to preach out of Numbers can be challenging, especially um, places to preach that apply for us today, okay? But um, Rich has done a great job so far of pulling wisdom and pulling um, um, pulling. I, the word just went away, sorry. Pulling wisdom out of that and doing justice um, to the stories that are there. And, and I hope I can do the same thing this morning. Well, as I prepared for this morning, I'll be honest, the Bible Project guys were part of my go-to. They're awesome. If you haven't had a chance to watch their videos or listen to their podcast, highly recommend it. Um, but something that they have consistently pointed out, um, if you listen to their podcast about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, what, and what we know as the Old Testament, is that um, after the fall of humanity into sin, the overarching theme of these five, first five books is the restoration of the nation of Israel back to a pre-fall Eden-like state, as close to the Garden of Eden as possible. Um, and Pastor Rich mentioned that theme actually last Sunday. I, I was listening for it because I thought, do I mention it? Do I not mention it? Well, he said it, so I will. <laughs> but keeping that in the back of our minds, though, I want to take a look at a story this morning that I don't know that I had ever heard. And I've been in the church my whole life. I won't tell you how many years. My whole entire life. And I don't know that I ever remember hearing this story. Um, or at least I didn't pay attention to it. That's, that's a very possible that I just didn't pay attention. <laughs> but it's the story of five daughters, and it's found in Numbers chapter 27. So let's take a look at that, starting in verse 1. It says, one day a petition was presented by the daughters of, now I'm going to probably mess up these names, so if you're a Hebrew scholar, I'm sorry, I apologize now. But they're the daughters of Zelophehad, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Terza. Their father, Zelophehad was a descendant of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph. Now these women stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the tribal leaders, and the entire community at the entrance of the tabernacle. Our father died in the wilderness, they said. He was not among Korah's followers who rebelled against the Lord. He died because of his own sin. But he had no sons. Why should the name of our father disappear from his clan just because he had no sons. Give us property along with the rest of our relatives. So Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord replied to Moses, the claim of the daughters of Zelophehad is legitimate. You must give them a grant of land along with their father's relatives. Assign them the property that would have been given to their father. 
and give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If a man dies with no son, then give his inheritance to his daughters. And if he has no daughter either, transfer his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance to his father's brothers. But if his father has no brothers, give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his clan. This is a legal requirement for the people of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, when we read this passage in our context today, we're tempted to think, or at least I'm tempted to think, what's the big deal? But if we, if we get a little context into this, we can better understand why this passage was so important. In the book of, the, uh, in the book of Numbers, there were two censuses, censuses that were taken. <laughs> Not sure how to say that, plural. Um, but one was in early on in chapter 1, and that census was taken so that, that the nation of Israel would know what their military um, numbers would be, what, what the, the level of their military might, okay? And only the men that were 20 years old or older that were not a part of the tribe of Levi, because those were the priests, right, and, and the, the temple workers, um, they were counted um, and they, because they were the ones that would go to war if it was necessary, then in chapter 26, right before the, the story we just read, there's a second census. This one had a dual purpose. It was, again, to know the military capacity of the nation, but it also was used to distribute, um, or was going to be used to distribute property to the families, to the tribes and the clans, once they entered the promised land and took possession, Okay. In chapter 26, verses 52 to 56, we find these instructions. Then the Lord said to Moses, Divide the land among the tribes and distribute the grants of land in proportion to the tribe's populations, as indicated by the number of names on the list. Give the larger tribes more land and the smaller tribes less land, each group receiving a grant in proportion to the size of its population. But you must assign the land by lot and give land to each ancestral tribe according to the number of names on the list. Each grant of land must be assigned by lot among the larger and the smaller tribal groups. So here we find the Lord is giving instructions for the equitable distribution of property. Clans that had, and tribes that had more population got more land. It was according to the census that was taken just before this, this chapter, um, before tw chapter 27. And then the smaller clans, the smaller tribes, would le receive less property, but it still would be equitable because it would be per person, okay? And it seems really straightforward until it wasn't. That's when we read about the five daughters of Zelophehad. And to say these girls were bold is an understatement. They were bold, absolutely. And they had the audacity, <laughs> I love that word, it's one of my favorite words. They had the audacity to come before Moses, the high priest, the tribal leaders, and the entire community to make a request. This was not normal at all. This had never happened before, okay? And as we read, their father had died with no sons to inherit the land. Now he also, he had been part of that generation that had to wander around without inheriting the promised land, but not because that he had been part of the rebellion. They made a, the, the daughters made a point to, to mention that. 
He wasn't rebellious. He died because of his own sins, not because he followed someone who was rebelling against God, okay? But why is that such a big deal? I mean, so what they don't get a little bit of property, but in that culture and at that time, property was equal to identity. That's why in the story that Jesus tells us about the prodigal son, that when the son asked for his portion of his inheritance and then took it and squandered it, he wasn't just squandering money. It wasn't just a financial thing. He had squandered the name, the identity of his family. And it's no surprise then that the older brother was so upset and that also it's actually more surprising that the father demonstrated such grace and mercy to his son. But that's a, a side, that's another whole other sermon. We could get into that in another sermon. But because they were female, the daughters would not be given a portion of land. They were not listed in that census because they were not male. We don't know how old they were, but they just, they weren't boys. So they would not inherit the land. And as a result of this, as we read, was that the name of their father as part of the tribe of Manasseh, would be forgotten. It would eventually just be as if he had never existed because he wouldn't have the land as part of his identity. Then his lineage would eventually die out. Now these five daughters weren't just asking for land for the monetary value of it. It wasn't, it wasn't for the money that they were asking for it. But it re represented for them the acknowledgement of their father's line, his lineage, and therefore their own identity. They would be orphans in the worst possible way in that they would have no family to trace back to eventually. Not necessarily them, but their offspring. After so many generations, their lineage would stop. And it's possible they weren't the only family with daughters and no sons. We don't know. But these were the ones that were bold enough to come forward and talk to Moses and the tribal leaders and the high priest in the community and, and, and ask that they, could change the, that they would change the law. Now, in all honesty, Moses wasn't really sure what to do. You know, what do you do with these five women that show up at the, at the tabernacle and go, uh, excuse me, we need to chat. <laughs> So Moses did what he did best, and he went to the Lord. And he took it before him, and in verse 7, it's in your, your handout, we just read it, the, um, the Lord replied to Moses, the claim of the daughters of Zelophehad is legitimate. You must give them a grant of land along with their father's relatives. Assign them the property that would have been given to their father. Now, what's kind of notable here is that God not only agreed with these five daughters, but then he instructed Moses to give him the property that would have gone to their father. And then he took it a step further. And in verses 8 to 11, he gives more detailed instruction for what would happen with a, with a family who had a, a man who died without a male heir to inherit it. He didn't just make accommodation for these five daughters. He changed the law, he adjusted, or I like to use the word tweaked. He tweaked the law that he had given previously to make accommodation for those families where there were no sons to inherit property. If that happens, it goes to the daughters. If there's no daughters, then to the brothers. If there's no brothers, then to the uncles. If there's no uncles, then it goes to the nearest living relative. 
That adjustment to the law given previously makes sense to us, doesn't it? In our context, that makes perfect sense. That's kind of how our laws are structured now, is, is if there's no named heir for, for someone's property, it goes through court and it's a big, big hairy mess. But eventually, the, the estate of a person who passes away, who dies, goes to their nearest living relative. But at that time, the only law that had been given was that the land of the father went to the sons. And these five women, though, they brought to the attention of the community this gap in the law and a gap that had created an injustice to surviving daughters of fathers with no sons. Now, was God, God's law good when it was given? Absolutely it was good. Did God intend for there to be a gap in the law? I don't believe he did intend that. But for whatever reason, there was a gap that didn't occur to Moses as he was receiving the law. I don't remember reading anywhere in the law where Moses said to God as he was receiving this, yeah, but what about the girls? What about the daughters of the men who die with, with no sons? Well, for one, women in that culture were not a consideration. They weren't thought about. They were girls. They were female. They were women. Why would we care? <clears throat> um, but Moses, so Moses had no reason to question that. But God's law, when it was given, was given in the context that Moses and the people of Israel were in at the time. And it was good in that context, right? <laughs> okay, later, though, when the context changed, when it was brought to the attention of Moses and, and the community... And then Moses brought it to the Lord. God recognized the wisdom in adapting the law, that particular law, to the context so that the law could be applied equitably. In fact, God does that later again in Numbers. In chapter 36, I believe it's the last chapter. If I, yeah, thank you. Um, I, I read a lot this week, so some of it kind of blurs together after a while. But in this is the whole chapter 36, okay? It says, Then the heads of the clans of Gilead, descendants of Machir, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph, came to Moses and the family leaders of Israel with a petition. Okay, they said, Sir, the Lord instructed you to divide the land by sacred lot among the people of Israel. You were told by the Lord to give the grant of land owned by our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. But if they marry men from another tribe, their grants of land will go with them to the tribe into which they married. Into which they married. That's when you had that property, it became yours. It was your identity. It went where you went. Okay. Um, in this way, the total area of our tribal land will be reduced. Then when the year of Jubilee comes, their portion of land will be added to that of the new tribe, causing it to be lost forever to our ancestral tribe. So Moses gave the Israelites this command from the Lord. The claim of the men of the tribe of Joseph is legitimate. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad. Let them marry anyone they like, as long as it is within their own ancestral tribe. None of the territorial land must pass, may pass from tribe to tribe. For all the land given to each tribe must remain within the tribe to which it was first allotted. The daughters throughout the tribes of Israel who are in line to inherit property must marry within their tribe so that all the Israelites will keep their ancestral property. 
No grant of land may pass from one tribe to another. Each tribe of Israel must keep its allotted portion of land. The daughters of Zelophehad did as the Lord commanded Moses. Mala, Terza, Hogla, Milcah, and Noah all married cousins of their father's side. They married into the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. Thus their inheritance of land remained within their ancestral tribe. These are the commands and regulations that the Lord gave to the people of Israel through Moses while they were camped in the plains of Moab beside the Jordan River across from Jericho. Phew! <laughs> so once again, we see that the law that was given to Moses is found to have a gap in it. And that gap, like the, the first gap that we saw, created another injustice. But it was for a different reason. Nevertheless, it was still an injustice because no longer if the, these, the, the girls, the women, the daughters who inherited this land married into another clan, into another tribe, then one tribe's property would increase while another tribe's property would decrease and it would no longer be equitably distributed. So in order for things to stay equitable between the tribes, the Lord said, okay, that's fine. We're going to give these, these, these daughters the property of their fathers. However, they have to stay in their tribe. So they had to marry cousins. They're, they're like, ex, I, that's, a, that's a whole other study. Um, that would take some coffee and some time. So, um, but, um, so once again, God adjusts the law so the law, once again, could be applied equitably. And by adjusting the laws to the context changes in the, the dynamics of the people of Israel, we can see God working to bring the promised land that they would possess into a, a, a more Eden-like state, okay? So what does this have to do with us, right? We don't live by the law as because we're people of the New Testament. But that doesn't mean that none of this applies to us today, does it? We no longer see property as identity. And inheriting land is much more of a financial benefit than anything else. In our context today, these specific laws don't seem to have any application for our lives, do they? Or do they? We've talked before about the law and what Jesus came to do in regards to the law. I, I, in fact, when I was putting my sermon in my notebook, I found my sermon about the Ten Commandments. The law of God, right? Um, so I know we've talked about the law before, but what Jesus came to do is, is, is talked about in Romans. Paul talks about this. Um, in quote, in, I believe quoting Jesus, but he says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses. Or the, no, I'm sorry, cor correction. Paul is talking about this. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So, what do we do with laws that don't seem to apply to us specifically or to our current context? You know, there's, there's a lot of laws. As we read the Old Testament, as we read these first five books, there's a lot of laws that don't really apply for us. One that I think of that in my context is ridiculous is not wearing mixed fibers. 
There was a law on the, on the books in, I think, Leviticus about not patching a linen garment with wool. Everything I wear is blended. There, you know, cotton poly blends or, or whatever. Why? Why? Well, there was a reason God gave that law. And, and just like a lot of these other laws, if we, if what we need to do is that, and what I'm learning to do is discover the wisdom and the purpose behind the law, the original intent of the law, and then we can apply that same wisdom and purpose to our context, even if the specific law doesn't apply, okay? Now, for some folks, I'm going to be honest, this can be seen as compromising God's laws or compromising the word of God. And I can understand how they may come to that conclusion, but I can't help but wonder if Jesus didn't kind of do the same thing, or at least something similar. In Matthew chapter 5, he made statements, and I know we've talked about these before, he made statements that went something like, you've heard it said, but I say. For instance, in chapter 5, verses 21 and 22 of Matthew, it says, you've heard that your ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. He took the wisdom of the law, the purpose, the intent of that law of you shall not murder, and applied it to the context, applied that wisdom, that intent, that purpose to the context and went even further and said, if you hate your brother, you're just as guilty of judgment than if you kill him. And in this and other places, in this chapter in particular, Jesus takes the, the letter of the law, the literal contextual meaning of words, and pulls from it the wisdom of that law and applies it to the context of where he was living in that point in time. Now, if we look at the laws that, we're, that were given to the people of Israel about things like hmm, slavery, we know that in our context, slavery is evil and unjust and inhumane, right? We know that in our context. So do we compromise God's law when we take those laws and look at them from our context and see that we aren't going to apply those, liter those laws literally to where we live and how we live? I don't believe it's compromising God's law or God's word to take the Old Testament laws about slavery and not apply them today. Okay? But I, believe, I do believe that if we can do the work of digging into the law and learning the original intent and purpose, learning the original wisdom that's behind them, which is at least in part cooperating with the Holy Spirit, we will be helping to restore God's people back to an Edenic, that's, that was a cool word I learned, Edenic, or an Eden-like state. As we apply the wisdom of the law, the purpose and the intent of the laws that God gave us, and they are good laws, then we cooperate with God in restoring earth as we know it back to the kingdom that God intended. Whew. <laughs> Part of that work is looking at stories like we have this morning. 
part of that work is studying the law, digging into the scriptures, but doing so all through the lens of Jesus. And not just the Jesus that we read about in the New Testament, but the resurrected Jesus. Seeing it the way he would see it. And what I'm learning more and more is that the lens that Jesus used to look at the law and apply it to people and their context is a lens of love above all. When we've looked at the law before, we've also looked at what Jesus said about the law, haven't we? When we've talked about the Ten Commandments, when we've talked about the, you've heard it said, but I say, we've also looked at, at the, the greatest commandment or law <clears throat> that Jesus mentions. Because Jesus was asked, the Pharisees asked him, what's the greatest law? What's the greatest commandment that we have? And Jesus answered them by quoting the Old Testament. <laughs> In Mark 12, 29 to 31, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6:45 and Leviticus 19:18 when he says, The most important commandment is this: Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and the only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. In addition, when we use the lens of God's love to look at and apply the law, it also fulfills God's law. Romans 13, 9-10 tells us that for the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. I almost want to do a mic drop, but it's an expensive mic. I would, I would be afraid to break it. But when we look at and we learn the law of God, laws like the inheritance of property of Zelophehad's daughters, that, so bold, that they so boldly questioned. We, we look at them and we apply them through the lens of love. God's love, love for God and love for others. Our love for God, our love for others should always influence how we see God's laws and then how we apply them to ourselves and to others or try to to others. We, we're, we're limited in what we can do when we apply God's laws to other people, aren't we? To do otherwise, though, it creates a possibility for us, for me, to fall into rigid legalism. And I've been there. I grew up there. It's oppressive. It's, it's not where I want to be. It also creates a possibility for ungracious enforcement as opposed to wise application and grace-filled understanding of the law of God. There are places in our current context where Christians are not always doing a very good job of applying the law through the lens of God's love and grace and mercy. There are places in our current context, in our culture, in our cities, in our, in our country, in our states, where the letter of the law is of higher priority for some folks than the commandment to love God and love others. And it's my hope and prayer this morning, it's my hope and prayer every day, 
that we as a body here at Living Hope locally, as part of our denomination, as part of the church as a whole, that we will decide today that we are going to learn what the wisdom and the purpose and the intent of God's law is, and then lovingly, graciously applying that wisdom to whatever context we find ourselves in. And now I ask you if you would pray with me. Lord, I do thank you for your law this morning. I thank you that your law is good. And that has never changed, Lord. Regardless of what has happened around us, regardless of what the world has done, regardless of what other people do, Lord, your law is always good. And I pray, Father, that you would teach us. Teach us to not just know the letter of your law, but teach us to understand your wisdom, your purpose, your intention in every law that you've given us. Lord, give us insight so that we can graciously, lovingly, as we learn to be more and more like you, take those, that wisdom, Lord, and share it with people that we come into contact with, people who need to know your love, people who don't know who you are. They don't know that your law is good. They don't know about a resurrected Jesus that loves them. Father, I, just, I, I, I thank you for the opportunity to share this this morning. It has been, it has been challenging for me personally and, and I know that you have spoken to me, and I pray, Lord, that you're speaking to other people who've been maybe a little confused about how to justify what you've said with what's going on in our world, how to take what you've said and apply it to where we work and where we live and where we go to school and where we shop for groceries and all of these places, Lord, that we just, we just don't know what to do with the truth of, of your law that you've given us. Father, this morning as we also go into a time of communion, a time of sharing at the table, I pray, Father, that we would, that we would look into our lives, that the Holy Spirit would be allowed to, to talk to us this morning, Lord, and show us those places where we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We've not loved others as we love ourselves. Lord, those places where we have not served our neighbors well, we've not served our family well. Father, I, I pray that you would, in your grace and in your mercy, forgive those places and bless this bread and bless, bless this cup as we come to your table this morning. Lord, again, I thank you I thank you for your word that is always good. It is eternal and unfailing, Lord. That it, it, well, while the truth of it never changes, Lord, it can be applied to any context we find ourselves in. It is a good word, it is a good law, because you are a good God who loves us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. And now join me, if you would, in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, as the musicians come uh, one last time, you're invited to come forward and receive communion. It is open to anyone saying yes to Jesus today. And we do have the bread and the cup. You can take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and, and take it there. If you are not really um, comfortable getting in line with a, a lot of folks, <laughs> then there are elements at the table you are welcome to partake of. And we do have a gluten-free option for anyone who needs to be gluten-free. So um, thank you, Doug and Mary, for your ministry this morning. And again, please, you are invited to the table of the Lord.
Thank you, God. As we've just celebrated in communion and, and celebrated in song, you have given your son Jesus Christ for us. You have conquered sin and death in him on our behalf so that today we can be filled with the spirit of Christ, so that today we can live uh, lives of love for you and for each other. Please, God, help us to do that. Led, filled by your Holy Spirit as we leave this place. Thank you. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.